Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Dina Rose. Dr. Rose uses her unique combination of expertise as a sociologist and a mom to help parents solve their kids' eating problems by focusing on the root of the problem, eating habits, not nutrition. She's also the author of the new book, It's Not About the Broccoli. (laughs) Three Habits to Teach Your Kids for a Lifetime of Healthy Eating. Hi, Dina. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, thanks for making the time. You know, I want to get right to it because I love broccoli, but I'm wondering (laughs) why you chose to write a book with the word broccoli in in the title because I don't think many people love it. (laughs) Well, you know, it's actually, it's kind of interesting because most parents are really concerned about getting broccoli into their kids. But at the same time, uh, it's actually one of the vegetables that I think most kids really do like. Okay, so maybe maybe that's kind of an old thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it was the word. I don't know. Broccoli always looked like, to me as a kid like little trees, mm-hmm. and and when it's cooked well and not gray green, sure. it's beautiful, right? Yes, and I think the fact that it looks like trees can actually be a selling point for kids. But one of the reasons I think that children like broccoli on average is because parents work so hard to get them to eat it. Uh-huh. So it's parents kind of um, showing that this is important to me and, and kids will, it won't backfire? Well, I don't think it's so much that this is important to me, but they get multiple, multiple exposures. And of course, the research shows that that's really what's key. The other thing is, is that because broccoli does look like little trees, it's pretty easy to make it into a fun, interesting food for kids to eat. When my daughter was little, we used to sprinkle a little bit of Parmesan cheese on it and used to say, yeah. like, it's snowing. <laughs> And you could be the big giant eating the little trees. It's kind of fun. Exactly. So this whole thing about food and kids, it's often a it's often a battleground for parents, especially with very young children. And then when they get to be, you know, young adolescents, parents sometimes give up. I mean, I've met teens who only eat pizza. Right. And their sure. parents have given up. So um let let's dial back the clock. Um I have a I have a grandson who's just about to turn eight months old, and he's just starting with solid foods. Um, anywhere along the continuum, I'm sure you can make changes. But sure. what do you, what's your advice for parents who really want their kids to have good nutrition but also um, don't want the battlefield? Well, eating is really one of the areas, as you said, where there's a lot of, lot of struggle, and it's one of the few areas that young children can control, right, because nature takes over and makes them fall asleep. We can strong-arm them into the, you know, the, the car seat. But they decide whether or not they swallow. And because it's so important to parents that their kids eat nutritious foods, but it's also really important to parents that their kids just plain old eat. We're all sort of terrified that our kids are going to be hungry. Mm -hmm. But this becomes a place where there's a lot of struggle. The number one thing that parents can do, actually it sounds counterintuitive, is that they can dial down the nutrition a little bit. Because the nutrition puts a lot of pressure on parents to get those two more bites into their kids or to get the broccoli into their kids. Instead, they need to think about behavior, the habits that they want their children to develop. And it's very interesting to me that most parents can have a really educated discussion about nutrition, but if you ask them what are good eating habits, they kind of hem and haw. We haven't done a very good public health, you know, messaging around habits. Okay, well, help us out here, Dina. Then what does good eating behavior look like? There are only three habits that translate nutrition into behavior. I didn't make these up. These actually form the foundation of the food pyramid and now the my plate icon. They are proportion, 
variety, and moderation. And they just mean exactly what they say. So proportion is really about ratios. Do you spend most of your time eating the healthiest food? And of course, we know most kids are eating sort of not from the bottom of the barrel, but from the middle of the barrel. Mm -hmm. Variety means eating different foods. And this is a place where parents get it wrong all the time because they think different means new. Variety means new. It just actually means different. And moderation is about portion size. But when we think about portion size, it's really more about eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full and not eating because you're bored, you're sad, you're lonely, or mom needs five minutes on the phone and she needs a little piece of quiet, or in my personal case, because my daughter would cry in the car and it kept her quiet. So if we keep those habits in mind and we start teaching our children those behaviors, the good nutrition comes along for the ride. Well, that, that's really interesting. So when you say, you know, the nutrition piece of it, when parents focus on that, it puts a lot of pressure on them. Mm-hmm. It's not just get the kid to eat, but am I giving them, you know, X number of grams of protein a day and, and this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you start to feel like you missed your calling and you should have, you know, been a nutrition major. And, and if, you're, if you're not savvy about that stuff, there's a lot of misinformation around as well. Well, and if you think about it, there's actually no way to chart how much calcium your children are ingesting because you might think about it in terms of milk, but there's calcium in almost all plant foods and and in nuts. And so you can't really keep track. And so one of the things that happens is that parents do what I call buy nutrition insurance, is that I don't really know how much protein you had, so have two more bites. And every time we encourage our kids to eat more than our kids want to, we risk teaching them to overeat. And the research is pretty clear that children nowadays are learning to overeat as early as age two or three. And that's really not something that we want to do. Well, it's really interesting. You know, um, I've been on the receiving end of email from, from tweens and teens for going on 18 years now. And when I get emails from kids who are suffering from eating disorders, or um, they're writing about a friend that they're um, worried about. Right. I, I think about the, the beginnings of those kinds of um, unhealthy relationships with food. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? We don't have our, our eye on that prize as parents because the entire dialogue about feeding young children is really about what they consume, not why they eat or when they eat or what we do to get them to eat. And so we really have to broaden our discussion to stop talking quite so much about nutrition because when we start thinking about habits, we do start thinking about the other aspects of eating, why people are eating or when they're eating. And really, once parents open their eyes to this idea, it's really not that hard. It's really just sort of a mind shift. They can start doing things that are more productive in terms of eating now, but also better in terms of long-term eating habits. Nobody's trying to make their kids overeat, right? That's right, just a, that's right. Just sort but of as you say, sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's a matter of um, entertaining the child, well, keeping it's them quiet, like, I mean, like, you know, in the backseat of the car. Or... Of course, there's that. But mm-hmm. then if you think about it, if we want to get two more bites into our kids, let's say we say the classic dessert deal, right? If you want to have your brownie, mm-hmm. you have to eat your broccoli. <laughs> And so what happens, most kids, when they look at their plate, especially young children, when they look at their plate, they see three or four different items. They eat the one that they like the most, that's like the pasta or the chicken, and then they're not that hungry anymore. They might have had one or two bites of vegetable, but they haven't eaten the whole serving. And now mom comes along and says, okay, you have to eat some more. So this is what happens to the child. I'm 
full-ish, not really quite full. Now I'm going to eat those extra bites of vegetable. Now I'm full. Now I get my dessert, and now I'm really full. So we have inadvertently <laughs> taught our children to eat dessert on a full stomach instead of teaching them, <clears throat> excuse me, instead of teaching them to save room for dessert, which would be a better habit. Yeah, and to save room, and then you can savor this sweet thing, which is a treat. And you know, it doesn't have to. Dessert doesn't have to happen after every meal. I, I think that sometimes um, we train kids that they a meal's not done unless you've had something sweet at the end of it. That seems well, like a behavioral thing too. Dessert doesn't have to mean sweet either. That's a distinctly American thing. Ooh, but tell we, me about that. <laughs> well, we can serve fruit for dessert. Or we can serve plain yogurt for dessert mm -hmm. or, you know, cheese. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can do with dessert. And actually, if parents of young children especially were to broaden their idea of what constitutes dessert, we can actually use it to help teach our children to eat right because it takes pressure off the main meal. So if I'm knowing that there's going to be apples or oranges or grapes or something for dessert, my child doesn't eat the main course quite as well as I would like, I don't have to worry about her being hungry if I know she's going to have fruit for dessert. Wow, that's so brilliant, Dina. I'm thinking about all the struggles that happen around tables in families every single day, multiple times a day, where there's this, okay, I have to get the kid across the finish line. And the finish line is, you know, two more bites of this, two more bites of that. And then the big reward, you get to have a cookie. But That's what you're right. saying is it does take a lot of pressure off of it. So I'm wondering, you know, when we become parents, we obviously have a different view of what food is about. It's, it's about sustenance. And you need your child to have ingest certain nutrients so that he or she can grow and be healthy and strong. But what if you didn't particularly have um, good eating habits, you don't have them yourself, and now you've got this extra burden of, of nurturing a, a young human being who's growing? How, how does one um, kind of relearn or readjust without too much pressure on a course in nutrition to become a good nurturing parent who, um, when you, your own habits maybe weren't so aren't so great themselves? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, there's so much tied up in our own identities about motherhood and nurturing and, and sustenance and feeding our children. And so it can really be intense. Um, I think the main thing for parents to really remember is that the way that children eat is less a product of the food we feed them than how we interact with them and the messages we teach them. So if I'm not such a great eater myself, of course, it would be better if I would improve my own eating habits because not only does that provide the modeling that everybody's heard so much about, and not only does it bring the good food into the house, but more importantly, it, it's, a, it's a vehicle for us to sort of talk about what kinds of foods we eat and why. So if your habits aren't that great, the main thing to convey to kids is why you wish your habits were different. And... We can, we can sort of offset a little bit of the, of, of the idea that if we eat poorly in front of our kids, um, we're going to ruin them for life. So if you happen to be a little bit picky and you don't like to eat vegetables, I encourage parents to actually engage in taste testing with their kids. Why not? Taste testing is actually one of the most important skills that children need to learn in order to eat well. We tend to think that we just plop the food down on the plate and it'll all work itself out. 
But if you think about every food being foreign to children and they don't know anything about it and why they should eat it and what it tastes like or, you know, taste testing is a skill and we have to be comfortable with that. So that's one of the ways that if you have a picky eating palate yourself, you can offset that. I love that. And you're so much of what we learn from childhood, we get cemented into. Mm-hmm. And, and then it becomes this, this uh, mantra inside our head, I don't eat fill in the blank. That's right. And, and you have stopped taste testing it years and years ago. You've just kind of closed your mind to it. But that's actually what happens to young children. So children under the age of five don't have stable taste preferences. They're all over the board. But they do have stable language and they do have stable interactions with their parents. And so they get into their head where they say, I don't like that or I don't eat that. And so that's one of the reasons we have to stop trying to get them to eat new foods and start getting them to taste new foods because we have to get it out of the I don't eat that box. And by the way, that's one of the problems with calling certain kinds of food child-friendly foods because children get it into their head that this is food that's for them. And all the other food in the world is not for them. And I can't tell you how many kids I've spoken to or their parents have said, well, they'll eat that when they get older. And that is really a counterproductive message. So interesting. I mean, these relationships we have with food are also relationships we have with parents and what kind of um, emotional environment is going on at the dinner table. I can imagine also that part of this openness to trying and tasting things Um, happens more frequently in a relaxed environment? That's true. And there is research that shows that kids are more likely to try new foods when they're sort of having fun meals. And when I mean fun, I don't mean that there's little smiley faces everywhere. I just mean that they're enjoying being at the table with their parents, that this is not a stressful moment in their lives. And, you know, so many people have their shoulders up around their ears because this is such a tense time. But I do want to remind parents that so much eating happens at times other than dinner. And we put a lot of pressure on dinner, but actually if we would reverse things and start thinking about spreading fruits and vegetables out throughout the day, for instance, then we take pressure off of dinner and we actually teach children better eating habits. Because if you save your vegetables for one meal, it's almost impossible to eat the right number of vegetables. But really, you should eat fruits and vegetables at breakfast and snack and and lunch and all throughout the day. And it's by overlooking those other times of eating that we often inadvertently teach kids bad eating habits. And and what do you think also about the idea of taking young children shopping with you? Um, I've always loved produce departments and farmers markets and things like that. I would think it would help, right? Well, of course, it is a great thing to take your kids with you to the grocery store. And that's one of the recommendations that parents hear all the time. For many parents, that's a situation that backfires because then they figure they have to figure out how to deal with their kids asking to buy all the other kinds of junk. Just go to the produce department. (laughs) So there is that. And I do tell parents that you have to be clear on the rules before you walk in. You just sort of say we're not buying anything from these aisles, or you can buy one thing or something like that. But if you have a picky eater, one of the traps that bringing your child to the grocery store um, poses for parents is that in the process of shopping, children will often pick out a product that they want, a new fruit or a new vegetable or even a new package something. Then this is what happens. The parent says, are you sure you're going to eat that? Yes, I'm going to eat that. Yes, I promise. Are you sure? Yes. And this goes back and forth. And then the mom goes home and immediately fixes that food. And what happens? 
nothing. The child is not going to eat that food. And one of the things that's important for parents to realize is that in that situation, the child just wants to participate in the shopping experience. So (laughs) we should not be extracting um, promises of eating food later on. Use the grocery store to start educating children about the sensory properties of food. Talk about the colors and the textures and the smells. If somebody's handing out samples, that's a great way to do a taste testing because there's no pressure that you're going to have to eat it, right? So we can use the grocery store, but... If the interactions that are happening for the rest of the day are not productive or even toxic, going to the grocery store is like a drop in a bucket, and it's not going to really do anything. Good point. So we're kind of going to wrap around a whole really positive um, attitude about about eating and mealtime and snacks. I love what you said about snacks. Redefine what a snack is. It's sure. not necessarily something crunchy that comes out of a bag. <laughs> right. That's what few food manufacturers have been teaching us, but it's it's not true. Right. <laughs> Bring back ants on a log, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know that the key to effectively parenting in any situation is to have a combination of, of structures or boundaries but warmth and compassion. And the same thing is true around food. And so parents who can use that kind of model of parenting in other domains often fall short when it comes to food because we don't have a dialogue in our country that teaches parents how they can have boundaries plus compassion. And the key is to set up certain kinds of rules, like this is when we eat and this is when we don't eat, and just making it sort of clear as day that that's what's happening. And then we add some compassion in, and offer some choices or have a little bit of flexibility around it doesn't have to be eight o'clock sharp that we eat, but it can be any time between eight and eight fifteen you choose. So there are lots of things that we can do to find that middle ground for parenting and it's just not part of our cultural dialogue. No, oh, well I'm so glad that you wrote a book like this because it, it seems like there has been an awful lot of um, focus on nutrition only and, and I love the behavioralistic um, approach to it. It's it's great. Um, we only have a, a minute left here, Dina, and I want to, before we leave, for you to, to let our listeners and viewers know where they can find out more about your book and your work. Well, my book, It's Not About the Broccoli, is available wherever books are sold. You can buy it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's, it's also available in uh, electronic version. And I have a website called It's Not About Nutrition, and I actively um, post new advice and articles on how to teach your children to eat right. And I do free 30-minute consultations, which you can sign up for on my website. That's great. Thanks so much for the work that you do, Dina. And thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Annie. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People. And my latest book for tween girls, The Girls Q&A Book on Friendship. 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And if you like this podcast, we ask that you review it on iTunes. It may be a little thing to you, but it means an awful lot to us. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Eggplant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next week when my guest will be Rick Phillips, Executive Director and Founder of Community Matters. Rick Phillips is the lead author of Safe School Ambassadors, Harnessing Student Power to Stop Bullying and Violence. Until next time, happy parenting.